Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. What Josiah Saw is a third feature film from American filmmaker Vincent Grishaw and world premiered to high praise at the 2021 Fantasia Film Festival and went on to win awards at the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, Scream Fest, and more. In What Josiah Saw, after two decades, a damaged family reunites at the remote farmhouse when they confront long buried secrets and sins of the past. The film stars Robert Patrick, Nick Stahl, Scott Hayes, and Kelly Garner. Today I'm joined by Vincent to discuss his work on What Josiah Saw. The film is currently streaming on Shudder. Big thanks to Bookman's for sponsoring the show, and thanks to Fort Worth for letting me use the song at the end. You can support the following films podcast by going to anchor.fm slash followingfilms slash subscribe. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hey, Vincent, how are you today? Christopher, good, man, good. Sorry yeah. about the uh, running behind. I had East Coast time written down on here instead of Pacific, so I was oh, no three hours behind. So, so, <laughs> so, so good. Uh, I make that mistake all the time, personally. So. <laughs> but I just wanted to say thanks for doing this today because I'm really excited to talk about the film. Um, this is, I think, Robert Patrick is probably one of the most underutilized actors uh, working today, despite somebody who has 167 credits on IMDb. He's somebody that I think it has so much more range than people give him the chance to do. And I loved seeing him get to flex a little bit in this one and show just how dynamic of an actor he is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. He's very, and, and on top of that, very dedicated. And the working ethics behind the scenes that most people wouldn't know about is, uh, it's sort of a gem for any filmmaker. You know, um, very established actors. You can work with actors and you get on set finally with them and you may have a nightmare on your hands in terms of the behind the scenes and they could hijack your movie in terms yeah. of making a horrible experience. And luckily for me, uh, I'm very considerate in, in pre on who we vet out, how we vet them. And, and all of them are just really just fantastic people to deal with. Um, so we got lucky. I mean, you spend that much time trying to get a movie made. It, it, you pray that it's, you know, you, it, that doesn't happen, you know? And could you talk a little bit about that prep process? How long did that go? When did you first read the script and say, okay, this is, um, it's a little bit of a departure for you to kind of jump like this. Was this something that it was the screenplay that attracted you or were you looking to do something different for the next film? Um, well, it's funny because I had read this. I was reading this because the, the writer was sending me the script as he was writing in 2013, which was after, <laughs> after my, after my first film. So it wasn't supposed to be my third film. It was supposed to be my second and it took so long to get made. I directed and then I go, uh, which is a, to you know, drama yeah. novel adaptation. Um, I was able to direct that. I was I was essentially hired to direct that um, through some producers I knew that they had been spending six years to try and get that movie made. So, you know, I, I got Josiah funded twice before, and both times had fallen apart. The ups and downs and the nightmare of that shit. Um, by the time 2019 came, it was financed and everything then happens very quickly once you do have the money and 
but we were all very prepared at that point. The script was the best that it, it had been. Um, and so it turns out to be a blessing, you know, sometimes. Is this something where you had kind of images and um, the way that you were going to execute this running around in the back of your mind for that almost 10 year period? Because I feel like the way that you introduce this film, the way that you establish this world is so specific and dialed in. It feels very um, intentional every moment here. It doesn't feel like anything is found. And the the way you yeah. build atmosphere is really quite incredible in the first couple of minutes. Of the Thanks. Thanks. And, and yes, very much. Um, it's the one movie that I made that when it got made, it was, I was in love with it as a filmmaker. Um, I can't call. And then I go my baby, even though I love it and very proud of it, but I, I got hired in July or in May and I was in Kentucky in July. I'd only known that project for two months. When you live with something for this long, I'm, I'm very, I was overprepared with it. And, <laughs> And that's a good thing uh, to to have that much time to really sink brain to paper and visualize. And so it was the first film that I and the only film I've ever put my name like a, a film by on it because it truly felt like, OK, that if I was ever going to this was my baby that I had lived with from beginning to end that warranted it. Um, so, yeah. So what is the more stressful moment when you have that much prep time to have something in the back of your head when you start getting the casting process and you're on that first day and you're actually starting to execute things or is it at this point in time when you're actually it's released into the world and it's there's nothing that can be done to change it at this point in time where you're kind of you have these two things where you're moving forward with it and there's all the potential in the world when it's in your mind and then okay these are the realities of it these are the realities of budget location cast in those moments or is it just the okay it's over now what's the more nerve-wracking for you the most nerve-wracking is definitely pre-production anything can happen and and the movie can fall apart financing um you know there could be a pandemic luckily we finished shooting (laughs) we finished shooting two months before it kicked off so really tell you how lucky yeah we filmed this in the in the November, December, 2019. Um, and the pandemic, you know, I was editing through the pandemic. And so it didn't hold us back at all. But when we finished, we didn't want to do a virtual premiere or anything. So we wait, we, we delayed it about a year before we were finally premiering it. That's why it's been so long since it's finally coming out. But I think the most nerve wracking is in that pre-production stage because anything can happen and you're not rolling cameras. Anything can, you're always panicking as a filmmaker, like, oh, just get to the finish line of shooting because anything can derail your movie. And it's never, you're never assured about anything until you wrap shooting. Once you wrap shooting, Time doesn't cost you money for the most part when you're editing your film because I edited it. So time at that point was a luxury because you're just there editing. You're figuring your movie out at that point. But everything before, time costs money. There is a pressure cooker sort of taking clock going on. The shooting isn't so much something that is stressful for me. Uh, That's when I feel like I'm clicking on all cylinders. Sure, you're putting out fires and your producers are dealing with stuff coming to you with problems and uh, I'm a calm person. I'm pretty, pretty relaxed and easygoing. So 
I, I feel I handled that stuff pretty well. My cast, I was lucky, like I said, to deal with people that were just there to do their thing and knew we had something special that we were doing. Um, so yeah, definitely the most nerve wracking is that pre-production financing stage and even finding locations. And even when you're making, you know, going through pre-production, um, there's a ton of things that are really stressful. Um, oh, the whole thing, top to bottom. It's just, there's not, oh, you have this idea of what it'll be in your mind and it's the reality of it. I think it's so much worse than you can imagine. But... Well, I will say it's the only film that I ever had PTSD, <laughs> nightmares. Every night, no joke, after rapping, every night for two weeks, I was having these directing dreams and I'd wake up sort of startled and, and panicked. <laughs> I think, I'm like, oh, we're not shooting. <laughs> okay, for two weeks straight so um it goes to show this movie was a really really tough one to get finished shooting um just because you don't have that much money and and a million things can and will go wrong outside of the shoot <laughs> yeah for sure and there's one thing i noticed when you're it, it's tough when people edit their own work sometimes i think that there's a tendency for some filmmakers to get a little bit precious about certain moments um, and that they can fall in love with something and not necessarily have the insight to let go of things that don't feel necessary. And this is a film that feels incredibly tight though, um, which is something you don't see with a lot of director editors. Um, can you talk a little bit about that editing process? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, and that's a perfect way to put it. Uh, two things. I, I think when you don't, write something you're a little less protective mm. of it because when i write something i do feel like you're a little more naked exposed as a as a creative person because you're like well i wrote this this is you're attacking me if you're saying you got to cut it <laughs> so yeah i didn't i do have that sort of protectiveness to your work you're doing and um today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by bookman's so Last time when I went into Bookman's, I actually had the intention of looking through some Blu-rays, DVDs, had something very specific in mind, but I happened to notice that there were several albums out, several uh, vinyl records that I was interested in. In fact, there was a couple of crates that had new stuff, and the first thing that caught my eye was a Black Sabbath Volume 4, so I started looking through this crate, and it was amazing because it was this rare moment when... Usually you look through a crate or two of records and you might find one or two things that you like in there that you're like, ah, I, this is what I need to get. With this, it was literally like every other album was something that I wanted to check out. And it turns out that somebody had just sold their record collection. And apparently me and this person had the exact same taste in music or really damn close to it. Because um, I'm 45 years old and so a lot of the music that was kind of the alternative rock of the late 80s early 90s seems to be exactly where this individual's taste lied and so it was lined up perfectly with mine um, an album that i've been looking for for a long time that i've wanted to pick up on vinyl was uh, depeche mode's violator and i happened to find it this last time i went into bookman's um, this was an album that was released in march of 1990 and i think this was depeche mode's biggest album it was their seventh album um, and it's best known for the single personal jesus or maybe enjoy the silence i'm not sure which 
uh, those two songs were the biggest ones, but there's a bunch of great songs on that record, including Policy of Truth and World in My Eyes. But one of the things that made this such an important album to me, this was also the first concert I went to. So it was in June of 1990, June 4th, uh, 1990, at the Lakewood Amphitheater in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to see this tour. Um, took a bus into the city with me and a friend of mine. It was summer between 8th and ninth grade, and we saw Depeche Mode. And it was the first time I had seen a band play that wasn't at like a Six Flags or a baseball game or anything like that. First time I went to see live music without my parents, and I was absolutely floored. It was the first time that I saw an encore. We uh, left the venue. We were on our way out of the venue and we didn't understand why everybody was standing around. And then they came back out. And at the, at the time we thought that this was something that was completely unique and special, um, that they came back out because we were such a great audience. We didn't really know that an encore was something that a band does every single night. But anyway, the album violator is one of those rare electronic albums from that time period that really holds up today and it is a true album where yeah there are some great singles on this but this is a record i can listen to both sides from beginning to end and really thankful i was able to find this one and have a had a great deal of nostalgia this weekend listening to it and i know this is one that i'll be putting on quite often so if you're ever looking for vinyl or if you want to sell some vinyl um you can always Check out Bookman's, because remember, they have your cool covered. Enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. You know, uh, two hours, I mean, I agree that there. it feels like everything is is necessary. Um, it is a, run, a long runtime for a horror, or this kind of movie. And I feel some people feel that. Um, the positive sides of it, people are like, along for that ride and willing to invest as a viewer and that this movie kind of demands you do invest and just stick it out and you will reap those rewards if you are a horror fan or this kind of southern gothic fan but the initial first cut of this was two hours and 38 minutes without credits oh wow almost 40 minutes i cut 42 minutes out of the movie um and that became something that i knew i had to do when my first cut was that long i just I had a couple screenings with people to kind of see what needed to go. And I'm open to that. Like I show editors that I know that c- cut some of my early films. I, I am open to that sort of critical eye and feedback for sure. I'm not, not a, a an idiot. Like I feel like <laughs> you need to open those doors to people yeah. you trust, not just anybody, but people you trust and be willing to kind of workshop it. And we did and got it down and to cut out 38 minutes. If you told me that before shooting, I'd be like, you're freaking crazy. Like no way. And so, but you find yourself in the edit going, okay, what are the, what's the bare necessity here? What drives each scene to the next? Um, And once you cut all those things and get a uh, step away for a little bit, once you revisit it, you're like, oh, I don't miss this at all. Very glad we cut it. And there you go. And it's, it's something that I think um, you're right in that a traditional horror film where it's only thing on its mind is scaring people. Yeah. Probably two hours is overstaying your welcome in that sense. But, you know, if you think about horror films that really have something more to say and they're really more human based and story based, and this is really, you know, 
generational trauma and paying for things that happened years before you were there and that kind of the past coming back to you. This is not really just a that you have more on your mind than just scaring people. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty here that I think the the Fango crowd can you know stick to that all that'll work for them. But I think that you could also have that overlap of people that are just really into if they just want to see a good drama. I think that there's enough here that they could hang their hat on. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I agree. I I think that there's there's um like I said, I feel like you just have to invest in in it, you know, and um. I feel like if you do, no matter what, like it or hate it, you will go, well, there's something I'm leaving here with an intense reaction and, and, uh, something I'll at least talk about or think about, um, afterward. Yeah. I don't think you're going to have a lot of neutral on this one. Um, you're not going to have a lot of people that just say ah, that happened. That was okay. Yeah, I think no, and that, 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 those are my favorite films. Ones that either, and a lot of times it'll be something that kind of pisses me off at first, but the longer I sit with it, the more I like it, the more it starts to creep into the back of my mind. And this is something that out of the gate, I feel like I was deeply connected to right away. It's just, this is, this is my jam. This is the kind of thing that I enjoy, but yeah. I, I think people are going to come around to this one and share it. You know, the video store days, this would be on the recommendations wall for the cool. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. And I, I, I'm a huge horror fan myself and not sure. just ones like this either like i love ones like this but i'm even i i grew up on halloweens and scream and it and uh just it, they they definitely i always had a love for this genre and so when i had initially um got this thing the script i felt it was horror and i wanted to really and it was before sort of the this the the films that were coming out that were sort of elevated genre horror that started coming out with um i don't remember when was the earlier ones whether it was the witch or it follows or uh i think it follows would be the first one they started calling that but then witch hereditary and you know like yeah stuff and, that followed. and so i definitely duke i yeah babadook i remember that and i knew i it was when i was trying to make this i felt I was on the right track with this movie. I felt like it was something to say in that horror uh, reimagining whatever, because it, it turned into a whole sort of subcategory now, um, this type of horror. And so at least, uh, you know, Dilt, when he wrote this script, it was in a time before it even came out, you know, any of them had come out. So I knew we were on the right track with what audiences want to hear. It's just shame. It's nine years later. <laughs> Well, it feels like the right time for it. Honestly, this feels like a movie that probably speaks more to what's going on in our country right now than it possibly could have 10 years ago. So it, there, there's an evergreen message here, unfortunately, um, that I think people can share this film for years to come because I, uh, I think we there's going to be something here that I'm, I don't think we're going to quite get past this point uh, for a long time to come, if that makes sense, without necessarily giving it away. Right. Well, I appreciate it, man. I really do. Well, thank you again for taking the time. I know we're um, we're running out of time here, but um, I just thank you for hanging out and congratulations on the film, man. It was uh, definitely worth the wait, and I'm I'm looking forward to the next one. Hopefully, it doesn't take ten years to get the, to get it out. No, of no, I'm I'm going right into my next one this fall, and it's it's a comedy drama. <laughs> nice, a uh, really great story script that we we got. Um, and, it, and it, it's just to something totally different and unique, lighter, but also still 
like a very human emotion story. So kind of like the wrestler, but boxing. Uh, nice. Know. So yeah, it's uh, I'm excited to jump into that. Well, I'm definitely um, I'm following now. This is somebody. Yeah, I'm interested in your work. So I'll I hopefully we'll get to chat with you again sometime because I'm a fan, man. And keep oh, up the good work. Chris. I appreciate it, man. All right. Take care, man. Have a good day. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.